So a uh, really special person uh, to our church, been coming for a long time, a uh, big part of the community. Uh, I always admire her, um, her ambition for sharing her faith. And um, here in the last year or so, she's built some really neat relationships with uh, a group of friends that have uh, gotten really, really close together. And uh, I remember a couple weeks ago, she was really excited. She had uh, called and texted and just said, hey, uh, Mark, I'm really excited. Uh, this group, you know, I've been telling you about that I love so much, um, that I've been living life with. And uh, she, she said they're coming to church tonight together. And, and, and some had been before, and, but, but this was going to be the whole crew. Uh, so two weeks ago tonight, they, uh, they all sat right up here in the front and uh, afterwards had a chance to to meet them all and pray with them, and, and it was just encouraging because she had been um, just telling me so much about this group of friends. And uh, I got a text uh, last Thursday, um, last Wednesday or Thursday, and, uh, and the text read, um, I don't know what to do. Uh, my, my best friend has been, been killed in a car accident. And so right away, right when I got the text, knowing that this group of friends was so close, um, I said my immediate reaction, you know, obviously was, and I was getting ready to speak at a conference, and so I just quickly texted back. I said, you know, I'm so incredibly sorry, no words. Is it one of the the guys that had been here? And she said, yeah, you know, um, Derek was his name. You met him, prayed over him, talked with him. Uh, So two weeks ago, he was here, uh, supposed to be here tonight. Um, she said that he was coming back and uh, was hit by a driver and uh, killed. And uh, so I went to the uh, visitation and, you know, been to a lot of visitations. Uh, This one in particular grabbed my heart. Um, I guess... I guess it's moments like that as, a lot, as I'm watching people mourn over a, a young man's life um, where I realize how real life is. And I guess I'm confessing, I'm concerned that for some of you in the season of life, the period of life, this day in your life, One of the greatest tactics of the enemy, of your flesh, of your humanity, is to make life not feel real. Is to put us all in some fantasy world, either that the hurts don't really hurt or that the the goods aren't really good. And so then our approach to the gospel, to the power of Jesus, to what Christ has done is lackluster. When we come to settings like this, it's, it's not life or death. It's a group of people gathered to do the thing that they do. Shake some hands, kiss some babies, give some high fives, some hugs, read the words, sing some songs, and head on home. But I, I have to believe, I have to believe there's more than that, right? Right? I, I, I have to believe that this life that, that at times feels horribly wrong and other times 
way too good, I have to believe that it's real. That I'm not just a puppet here, that I'm actually like, there's there's an actual beating heart, that I'm actually existing right now in this moment. So, if this life is real, if we're all not dreaming this moment, if people do die, and if funerals do happen, and if it's incredibly difficult to be there, then our approach to the truth of the gospel and the reality of Jesus better come with it a sense of reality, a sense of passion, a sense of zeal, a sense of life or death. Do you guys see what I'm saying? What I'm saying is we're not here to play church. We're not going to pass out some pamphlets and then go through them, applaud a few times, and everyone go home happy. The point isn't that you sit in your room tonight and that you say, oh, wasn't church nice? The point is that every single one of us go home and say, God is real. He's living. He rose from the dead. And so because of that, my real life actually means something too. And so that's what we're going to study tonight. That's what we're going to work through. We're going to wrestle with a lot of things. I, I, um, I want to get to the core of some issues that I think we have. And, and you're like, well, Mark... How are we going to do that in an Old Testament text that talks about bricks? Because that's what tonight's text talk about. Old Testament, Moses, Aaron, and bricks. Right? So it's like how in the world are we going to glean anything for our own lives except how to make bricks? Well, I tell you, I tell you this right now. This text tonight, we're going to study the entire chapter. All right? It will take us one week. Okay? We are not leaving here for one week. Okay? All right? We're going to study it, we're going to engulf it, I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to go to it, all right? Is that cool? So, Father, uh, I, I don't know, I don't know what you're going to do tonight. I don't know, I don't know how it is that, that somehow you'll grab our hearts and give us an awe of you, but I know you can, and I'm praying that you will. So, for the distant, for the confused, for the... Um, hurting all the way to those who walk in here having the best day ever. I pray right now, God, that you show us your reality and your great and holy name and all God's people said. Amen. Open your Bibles to Exodus chapter 5. Moses and Aaron and the riffraff have arrived in Egypt. Uh, Moses has been here before some 40 years earlier. Egypt used to be a place of refuge. But soon after he killed someone and ran, now Egypt, I'm sure, is a place of fear. But he received some encouragement, as Jared just awesomely taught last week. He gets to stand in front of the elders, all the Israelites who have gathered, and these men that are leading them as a tribe, as it were. And he gets to watch them see the signs that God had shown Moses and Aaron. And he gets to watch them hear the words that God is going to save them. And then the scripture says, at the end of chapter 4, what they all believed. And then what? Then they worshipped. So he's coming off this like, okay, right? God sent me to Egypt. It's all good. Everybody's doing good. Everybody's worshipping the Lord. Chapter 5, verse 1. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh. And I, I, I wish sometimes the Bible provided some more detail. Like this is like an epic meeting, right? We've been waiting on this meeting. Moses, Aaron, Pharaoh, right? 
Like, I wish there was some more back dialogue, but uh, the writer just gets right into it. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, Thus says the Lord, seems like an odd opening. Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, and here's the famous, let my people go, right? Let my people go. It's the only time I'll ever do that. Lord, help me and forgive me. (laughs) That they may hold a feast to me in the the wilderness. So you have a dude, Pharaoh, powerful, powerful man, self-indulgent man who is entrapped, enslaved, been a part of the lineage of watching Israelites for 400 years work fervently, right, uh, fervently rather, uh, to serve the Egyptians. And then all of a sudden these two dudes show up, old men at that, and they say, uh, hey, uh, thus says the Lord, uh, let my people go. Can you just imagine what's going on in Pharaoh's head and heart? And can you just imagine Moses and Aaron coming off this, seeing everyone bow down? Moses with fear and trepidation accepting this call from God. I mean, God pretty much saying, like, no, I know you have given me every excuse not to send you, but you're going. Here's Aaron, right? So there's a lot of emotion in the room. But Pharaoh said, look at this, come on, verse 2. Who is the Lord that I should obey his voice and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and moreover, don't you love that Hebrew word there? I did a little bit of study. I'm like, seriously, the Hebrew? There's a Hebrew equivalent for moreover? Yeah, fair. Actually, there is. Then he says, and moreover, I will not let Israel go. (laughs) Uh, This may seem like a foreign conversation happening in a foreign land. But actually, this conversation dominates our lives. Who is the Lord that I should dot, 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 right? We answer it hundreds of times every day. Who is the Lord that I should? Who is the Lord that I should rise and open God's word and feast from it? Who is the Lord that I should view my day intentionally, that God has called me to be on mission? Who is the Lord that I would take time to pursue my wife and my children in a way that would be honoring the Lord? Who is the Lord that I should stand in front of God's people tonight and proclaim His word? Who is the Lord? You and I answer it all the time. And admittingly, sometimes we, by our life, say, I do not know the Lord. Again, we would never say that with our mouths those who would confess Christ as Savior. But by your life, by your actions, we're communicating, who is the Lord? You know, I don't really know him. I'm going to act like in my heart and my mind I do. But Pharaoh says, moreover, I will not let your people go. Verse 3, then they said, Moses and Aaron, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Please. <laughs> uh, right? Come on, kids. Right? You guys remember you were a kid? If the first time, if thus says the Lord don't work, then you bring the please, right? Have you ever tried that one? Mom and dad, thus says the Lord, like you really need to, right? And if that doesn't work, then here come the please and thank yous. Please, <laughs> let us go a three days journey into the wilderness that we may sacrifice to the Lord, lest he fall on us with pestilence or with the sword. Kind of a foreshadowing here of the plagues. What he's asking for is a three day reprieve. This is what God had commanded Moses and Aaron to communicate. Certainly, getting them out of slavery then would be the next step. But let's go out to the wilderness. Let us go out, make sacrifice to the Lord. Listen, we've been working hard, Pharaoh. Let God's people go. Verse 4. 
But the king of Egypt said to them, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? Now, I'm, I'm going to stop for a bit. Uh, how many of you guys really, really, really like your job right now? Okay. Raise your hand. Really, really awesome. About 6% of us. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure what that says about us. Um, <laughs> uh, we define work in a lot of different ways. Uh, work is labor. Work is... Um, good deeds, sometimes, as it's described in the scripture. Work can be working together. There's a lot of different ways that we use the word work. I was struck right away when I read this verse. And when I say struck, I mean like baseball bat to the face with this verse. Pharaoh, evil, not worshiping the God of the Hebrews, worshiping, in fact, pagan gods, He says, Moses and Aaron, why do you take the people away from their work? So then all of a sudden it dawned on me. There's a very powerful lure that evil portrays. And when I say evil, I'm talking about the evil piece of our flesh that even Paul talks about in Romans, this piece that why do I do what I don't want to do, why do I don't do what I like, all this confusing language, evil in that way, also evil in terms of the enemy. I believe this is an image of a much deeper core issue that's happening all the time. What is frustrating evil right now? The lack of work. These people need to be working. These people can't take breaks. These people are providing me advantage. And you picture like the whip, right? These people have to get back to work. Well, then I started thinking about one of the greatest tools that the enemy can ever get followers of Christ to believe is that their life needs to be so incredibly consumed with work that they then get completely distracted from God and everything that comes with the Lord. I believe one of the greatest tactics of Satan himself, of the enemy of our flesh, is to make all of us so insanely busy with life that life then runs over us and we don't feel real at all. Do you guys see what I'm saying? You, I, you should because you felt that way before. At least I'll speak for myself, I have. So stressed, so wearisome, so confused, so busy, that at times I'm just like, I don't even know which way the world is spinning, let alone my own home right this moment. Have you ever felt that way? Come on. And so all of a sudden then you're like, well, why is this happening? Listen, this whole passage is going to be a massive metaphor, massive imagery, and this this is the first step to it. Evil, Satan, our flesh would desire Every piece of us to get so consumed with our job, get so consumed with our works, get so consumed with our pushing to help God accept us, that then in all of those acts, in all of that time, in all of that confusion, we would be completely confused about who we are, who God is, and what we're even doing here. So Pharaoh, get them back to work. And then look what he says. Unbelievable. What does he tell Moses and Aaron? Get back to your what? Come on. Get back to your burdens. Well, the Hebrew word there is really work. 
So work slash burdens in the Hebrew comes from the same derivative. It has the same meaning. Get back to your burdens. Get back to your work. Why are you now infringing on what I'm trying to do? Get back and mind your own business is what he's saying. Right. Verse 5. And Pharaoh said, crazy, crazy, crazy word in this. And Pharaoh said, behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Okay, okay, okay. Can we have some fun? Is that cool? Can we have some fun? All right, thank you. The three of us are going to have some fun, the same people that enjoy their jobs because they're still happy tonight. Um, The Hebrew word here for rest is sabbat. Everyone say it with me. Sabbat. Come on. Sabbat. Now, the Hebrew word for Sabbath is Shabbat, uh, a very f- common greeting in, um, in Israel. On the Sabbath would be Shabbat Shalom, okay? So next time you see a friend tomorrow at work, say Shabbat Shalom, okay? Sound, say it like six times, and you might potentially say a cuss word, okay? So be careful with that. But, but Shabbat Shalom, that, that word Shabbat, Shabbat, it means rest, it's Sabbath. It's where we get the understanding of Sabbath. So what Pharaoh says Moses and Aaron represent is what? Is rest. And now all of a sudden we're starting to understand what is God's intention in Egypt in the first place. What? Bring his people what? Rest. Bring his people rest. They've been working under the bondage of slavery for 400 years God has heard their cries. He's called, raised up a man and now men to lead these people out of Egypt. And what God is trying to do and will do and what Moses and Aaron represent is rest. And Pharaoh has a problem with it. What you want is rest. And rest is not what they're going to get. But rest and the Lord, listen, go so hand in hand. If that statement is true, then what in the world are we doing? If God and rest are one, then what in the world are we doing? And now I'm not even talking about the principle of the biblical Sabbath. I'm just talking about when Jesus said, come to me all you who are weary and heavy laden, I'll give you what? I'll give you rest. Like I, God offers through the entire scripture, and still today, rest. That's what he represents. That's what he's extending. So the question is, well, well, rest in what? Rest to know in that funeral, as I was even in the moment having trouble doing it, it's rest in knowing that he is God. It's rest in knowing that he's good. It's rest in knowing that he's loving. It's rest in knowing that he's working it all out for his glory and namesake. It's rest in knowing that he's going to send his son to return one day to bring the church back home. It's resting in all those things. Not getting so caught up, not getting so busy, not getting so distracted, not getting so in turmoil in your heart that all those things you forget. Pharaoh represents work. God, Moses, Aaron, trying to bring the people rest. Pharaoh said again in verse 5, Behold, the people of the land are now many, and you make them rest from their burdens. Verse 6, The same day, the same day, Pharaoh commanded the taskmasters of the people and their foremen. Verse 7, look at this. 
You shall no longer give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. What happens? More work. Not the same work. Now we're going to advance the work. Uh, let's talk bricks. Cue uh, the next image for me. This is, uh, I drew this earlier. Um, <laughs> Uh, This picture is a famous picture dated back from the uh, 15th century B.C. that depicts the Egyptian uh, art and form of brick making. Now, uh, I'm not sure how many of you have ever laid a brick or formed brick or done anything with brick, but the process for the Egyptians, and certainly still uh, true at this point for the Israelites, is you would take um, Nile mud, Nile River, okay, you take Nile mud, uh, ladies, this is completely different than the uh, Dead Sea mud that you put on your face sometimes for a manicure. Some of, you, some of you guys do that? I just said manicure. I don't even know what I'm talking about. What's, okay. Pedicure. I don't know. Whatever. <laughs> something cure. Something with cure on the end. All right. So they would take, listen, they would take um, River Nile mud, and then they would add straw in it to provide uh, air so then... When they laid it out in the sun, the bricks would dry. Now, I did as much research as I possibly could here. Here's the best quota that I could figure out, okay? For Egyptians, a 40-man team, the quota for one day was 2,000 bricks, okay? So gather your mud, put the straw in to let it breathe, put it in the mold, put it out in the sun, and do that 2,000 times uh, for 40 men. Okay, so this is probably what some of these bricks look like. I mean, they're, again, they're not like, like now these would probably be more in because we're, we're, you know, more into organic and less, you know, formed things. Um, this is a very dirty process. I found this picture as well. Like this, this shows the exact, uh, a couple folks now that still look like, they kind of look like zombies actually. Um, but they, they, are, they, are, they are people um, making bricks in the same form and fashion. Now, what Pharaoh says is, um, what Pharaoh says is here's what you're going to do. You're actually going to go look for your straw now. Um, because before, the, the taskmasters, who were the wardens, the Egyptian wardens, were sitting over this, and they would provide the straw so the Israelites could keep toiling, could keep working. But now what Pharaoh says is, listen, I'm going to essentially double your work. You're going to go now, and you're going to have to find your own straw, and then make your own bricks, and the quota is not going to be less. So, back in my mind, I'm going to start processing all these things. Fruitless labor. That's what's going to be provided here. Because the Israelites are going to go out, they're going to try to find straw. They're not going to find it. As we're going to see in a second, they're going to find stubble. Stubble's not going to make the bricks, so the bricks are going to fall apart. Fruitless labor. They're going to work hard, and at the end of the day, no bricks. And guess what's going to happen? They're, they're going to be what? They're going to be punished for their lack of work, even though they're doing exactly as they've been told. Are you guys with me? Now step back just for a second. If the enemy could get us to believe anything, it'd be to busy us, to cause our hearts, stir our hearts to work, work harder, work more. You're not accepted. God doesn't love you. You need to add these things to it. You need to make sure he knows you're righteous. You need to do all these things in your job. You need to provide for your family more and more and more and more. It's never enough. Keep going, pushing harder. I'm going to distract you from everything. And then at the end of the day, if that is your life, what do you have? You've got bricks 
that will crumble before you that have been made building a kingdom that is temporary and will fall. Your whole life has been built then on an infrastructure that is, as Jesus described, is on shifting sand. So I just want you to pause for a second and understand the severity of what we're talking about. The enemy is more work, more work, more work. Keep going with the facade that our work is actually accounting for something. That we're gaining accolades, that the boss is saying well done, that God is looking down in our awesome efforts and saying, you know what, Jesus was nice, but you, but your works, but the way you preach, but the way you love, but the way you serve, but the way you extend mercy, man, you and Jesus pretty close. And at the end of the day, this is real life. And in real life, guess what that will amount to? An enemy that says, hey, guess what? Everything I promised you, that was a lie. All those things I told you that I'd give you, no. It's kind of funny, isn't it? Don't you picture Satan believing that? It's kind of I got you, right? I told you all along, like, your works, like, meant something and that God was going to, right? No, that's not true. That's not true at all. More work, more work, more work, and fruitless labor. You shall no longer, again, in verse 7, give the people straw to make bricks as in the past. Let them go and gather straw for themselves. But the number of bricks, verse 8, that they made in the past, you shall impose on them. In other words, the quota isn't decreasing. You shall by no means reduce it. For they are idle. Look what he says here. He says they're using the God card. Therefore they cry, let us go and offer sacrifice to our God. He thinks they're, they're, they're crying wolf here. He thinks they're pulling out the God card and that they're using the God card to get out of their work. I say all the time, one of the most convenient times to use the God card, in, uh, especially in our culture and our church, seems to be around dating relationships. You know? All of a sudden, you don't like somebody no more, and then you blame it on God, right? And certainly there have been times where God has called and directed you to get out of the relationship, and it was a specific thing from the Lord. But let's all be honest. We use God at times, not just in relationships, but in general, as a crutch because it's hard to argue, isn't it? Some of you guys use that for your own calling. God called me. What's people going to say? You know, like yesterday, the voice of the Lord spoke to me through God's word, and it it really didn't. But when you say that, you know no one's going to be like, oh, oh. Are you sure about what? And, and some of us may say that, but we're like, oh, we're afraid to say that. Like when, when anyone in my life says, and thus says the Lord, I'm like, you know, I kind of feel like, but okay, well, who am I to say that again? You know, like, all right, like I wasn't in your closet with the Lord and your scripture open and pleading happening. Like, I, I'm not going to be the Holy Spirit for you. I'm just saying we must take great cause and pause with how we use the God card because even Pharaoh is saying, hey, these people are doing it even in this case, when they're not. Verse 9, let heavier work be laid on the men that they may labor at it and pay no regard to lying words, calling them liars. So the taskmasters, the Egyptian taskmasters and the foremen, the Israelite foremen, those who were overseeing the Israelites of the people went out and said to the people, look at this, come on, come on, this is awesome. Thus says Pharaoh, I will not give you straw. (laughs) Uh, Cue the next slide. Now, I was thinking to myself, self, this seems familiar to verse 1. And then I put him up, and I was like, actually, they are. Let's look at verse 1 again. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went and said to Pharaoh, thus says the Lord, 
God of Israel, let my people go. Verse 10. So the taskmasters and the foremen of the people went out and said to the people, thus says Pharaoh. We've got ourselves a little battle of the thuses here, don't we? Right? Right? Thus says Pharaoh, thus says the Lord. I'd like to use this opportunity to now pause and caution you about the voices speaking into your life. I mean, we've got a whole lot of voices, and those voices got a whole lot to say. Right? I mean, think, listen, think about the voices that are at your access every day. And can I just ask, how many of them are actually speaking truth? And yet we're exposed, vulnerable, on every angle of our life, from voice after voice after voice. And yeah, it's probably not Pharaoh, okay? Thus says God versus thus says what? I've told you before, some of the greatest danger in our calling from the Lord is from those who care about us the most. What is perceivingly extreme calls from God, those who care about us naturally will want to protect. When God's like, hold on, I am protecting them. I'm sending them to a communist country to preach the gospel, and I've got them. And all of our loved ones are saying, I'm not sure that that's a good idea. Right? The voices that you're reading in literature, the friends of yours that are distracting you because they, their voice seems to have reason. <laughs> oh, reason. Listen, one of the best things that I love about the Lord is how just at times crazy it seems, right? And all of the reasoned voices in our life can be huge distractions. You've got to battle the thuses, so let's see who wins. Go and get your straw, verse 11 yourselves, wherever you find it, but your work will not be reduced in the least. Your work's not going to be cut down, verse 12, so the people were scattered, listen to this, throughout all the land of Egypt to gather what? What? Stubble. That doesn't sound like straw to, to me, does it to you? Okay, same, same beginning letter, right? Congratulations for all of us, right? It starts with an S, okay? But it's not straw, stubble. As I've already described, what this is is like little bits of rocks, even at times, as I've seen, Little bits of straw, like people found a little bit, and they're like, oh, you know, we got a little nugget of straw. You know, let's throw her in the brick, right? But it wasn't going to be enough to put in the mud, to set out in the sun, and to allow it to breathe so that it would dry a brick. The taskmasters were urgent. This is huge. The taskmasters, remember who the taskmasters are? Were urgent, saying, complete your work, your daily task each day, as when there was no straw. And the foreman of the people of Israel, verse 14, whom Pharaoh's taskmasters said, said over them, were beaten and were asked, why have you not done all your task of making bricks today and yesterday as in the past? Now, now, now we're getting to some deep stuff here. Come on now. Right? So who gets beaten? The foreman. Taskmasters? Egyptian. Foreman? Israelites. So the foremen are going to the people, right? They're like, hey, guys, here's the deal. Uh, we really need to crank out some bricks. And you're not going to be given straw. And if you guys don't do it, we're going to get beaten. So could you guys figure it out, right? And then they come back, and they're beaten. And the expectation is, well, what's the problem? Why haven't you done this? Have you ever? It's me and you talking right now, having coffee. You having coffee, me not, but we're chatting. I don't drink coffee. Okay. And I was just 
I'm just looking at you in the eyes, oddly, right? And like, listen, when has been a time where all of your hard pursuits, all of your stress, all of your worry, all of a sudden came to a head when you thought that that peace that you were finally going to get, the merit you were finally going to deserve, actually only ended up punishing you. And then like a dog returns to its vomit, you believed at that moment that the necessary action was to work harder still. Do you guys see what I'm saying? When you put in all of this effort to receive the accolades of man or to gain the applause of God, not resting in what Christ has already given us, And you get to the moment and the enemy says, your flesh says, the lies whisper, you're so close. Listen, you got to keep working harder. And in the meantime, I'm going to punish you with guilt. I'm going to beat you up with shame, with remorse, with you're not good enough and you'll never be good enough. But listen, maybe tomorrow will be a better day. Come on, how many of you have gotten to that point? And instead of finally just relinquishing everything and saying, God, thank you for grace in Christ and righteousness given to me because of Jesus, when you had the gospel right here, right here just to believe and then to live in light of, you said, you're right, you're right, you're right. All the lies, yes, yes. Tomorrow, I'll pull up my bootstraps even more, though I was punished again today. No straws given to your servants. Verse 15 says, Then the foreman of the people of Israel came and cried to Pharaoh, Why do you treat your servants like this? Huh. Don't ever, don't, please, do not ever be, don't, do not ever be surprised. You guys see what I'm saying? Do not ever be surprised. Listen, when you believe lies, we can never be surprised that the lies produce nothing but more lies. Verse 16, no straw is given to your servants, yet they say to us, make bricks, and behold, your servants are beaten, but the fault is in your own people. But he said, does Pharaoh, look at this, you are idle, you are idle, you're not working hard enough, look at this, that is why you say, let us go and sacrifice to the Lord. He's saying you're lazy. Come on, work harder. You got it. Don't rest, don't trust, don't believe in this God of the Hebrew talk. Get back to work. Verse 18, he says specifically, go now and work. No straw will be given to you, but you must still deliver the same number of bricks. Now, uh, can we have a moment together? Is that okay? Last week I was uh, preaching all week. Uh, listen, crazy, 12th year in a row that I've done Christian high school spiritual this week. I started it in 2003 when I was 23 years old. All right? My hair had a little bit more here in the hairline. And it was great. I was a lot younger. And I looked at those students, at one point, deeply impacted by this thought, and I'll share it with you now. Isn't it crazy to think that maybe our lives are just being lived out of the expectations that others have on us, rather than in the light of the very gospel itself? In other words, for these uh, Christian high school students in a Christian high school, there's expectations that come with that, and with their teachers, and with the principal, and 
they're good expectations, they're right expectations, but if they're living to please them or to fulfill those, or their parents, or their coaches, or the media, or their friends. So how about for you guys? Do you ever feel like your life, in the lack of really being lived, is just fulfilling what everyone wants you to be? In this case, Pharaoh's just like, look, go and work, no straw. You got to keep delivering. You got to keep meeting expectations. You got to keep going for it. Don't stop. Because the enemy knows when you do stop, when you do pause, come on, when you do take time, isn't all of a sudden the reality of God smacking you right in the face? Let's just take work or stress as an example. You've had the most stressful seven days of your life. And finally, not to sit down and watch a TV show or to have a snack. You just sit down and you breathe. Isn't there something in that moment alone where you're like, hold on. What in the world am I doing? What am I getting in a tiffy for? Why, why, am I, why am I living so stressful? You look back on your seven days and you're like, that completely ruined seven days worth of life. When if only amidst it all, I would have just paused and remembered. I would have just paused and thought to myself, if I do not do one day's worth of work, the world will still go round because it's in the palm of God's hand. That was the whole point of the biblical Sabbath in the Old Testament. We'll get there in Exodus. God says, work six, take one, cease and celebrate. You remember that your slaves no longer in Egypt? That's the point. And you remember that I'm creator. You pause to remember. Well, the enemy knows that for believers, pausing is powerful. So if he can fill every possible gap of yours with more kids' sports, with more jobs, with more honey-to-do lists, with more things, with more me- like with more things that eventually aren't missional or intentional at all. It's just life being lived on top of you. Then he know, then he knows that we won't pause and remember. Verse 19, again, the foreman of the people of Israel saw that they were in trouble, and they said, you shall by no means reduce your number of bricks, your daily task each day. They met Moses and Aaron, who were waiting for them as they came out to Pharaoh, and they said, look at this, verse 21, crazy. They said to them, the Lord look on you and judge, because, look at this, because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants. (laughs) Just funny to me? Okay. Hebrew word there, literally stink, that's what it means. The Lord look on you and judge because you have made us stink in the sight of Pharaoh and his servants and have put us and have put a sword in their hand to kill us. All right, before we look at these last two verses. Everyone was worshiping, remember? Everything was great. Bowed down, Moses and Aaron come in. God's going to save us. He's got a plan. They drop their stick, turns to a snake, pulls out his leprous hand back again, right? Speak about God. Everyone worships. I got to think that Moses, when he enters in 
the reigns of Pharaoh. This is going to be quick. It's going to be easy. I mean, this is God's plan in and out. Not so. Not so at all. And chapters worth of not so. And so here's what Moses' response in verse 22. Then Moses turned to the Lord, which is kind of funny, right? Like, what, what did that turn look like, right? Did he, like, turn thinking that God was there in the burning bush again, right? The, does he turn upward somehow? Like, we're not sure, but he, he turns to where he perceivingly thinks the Lord is. Moses turned to the Lord and said, Oh, Lord, why have you done evil to these people? Why did you ever send me? The man that's been sent, called by God to lead God's people to rest, is not resting himself. Is in this moment turning to God and said, what have you done? Why have you done this evil? Why did you lead me here after one little minor, you know, infraction, Pharaoh working us harder to then turn your back on us, God? Why did you do this? Why did you ever send me? For since I came to Pharaoh to speak in your name, he has done evil to this people. And you have not delivered your people at all. The greatest lie that comes in perpetual busyness and work and effort is he won't deliver at all. He's not going to come through. The enemy saying, you see, look at his track record. You've been in this difficult relationship for years. He's not going to come through. He's not going to pull through. And unfortunately, our perspective is so narrow that we believe it. That we believe it. Let me make a delineation for all of you right now. That relationship, it may not pull through. That job may not get saved. That kid of yours may not be obedient. The dollars and cents may not make dollars and cents. Just so we understand, what do we want deliverance from? Is the ultimate form of deliverance saved relationships, obedient children? All of those things here and now, looking us in the face. And yes, my friends, when God does deliver in that way, what a blessing. But my friends, the promise of deliverance is salvation from sins. is a bloody cross and an empty tomb that says you can be called his son and daughter. That's the deliverance that's promised. It's deliverance in the end. It's deliverance that he'll conquer it all. That one day we will be with him forever. That's deliverance. So if the enemy for a bit on this temporary life in this mist that we're living in can get you to believe because he's not delivering in this place or in this place or in this relationship that he's not going to deliver at all, then he's won. And unfortunately, that's where many of us find ourselves. Hurt, broken, confused, battered, and starting to believe he won't deliver at all. So, to understand this, I'd like to understand why the enemy wants work and why God wants rest. Let's end with this. 
Why does the enemy want believers consumed with work? And why does God want rest first? The enemy wants believers consumed with work so that we will be distracted. And again, when I say work here, I'm, I'm including your jobs, the things that give you value, the works of good deeds that you portray to the Lord to try to earn His favor. Our life, I'm including in it. The enemy wants us to get so consumed with all of these things that we become distracted with God. But God wants rest so that we pause to know Him. He extends rest. He extends grace. He extends the opportunity to trust so that we pause and know that He's God and not believe that we are God. Second, the enemy wants believers consumed with work so that we easily forget Come on now. And your stressful weeks and your weeks consumed with worry, the beating of the whip. Right. Don't you find yourself forgetting even the, the things that before were nearest to your mind? The enemy, our flesh, all of those things are working in cohesion to cause us to forget. To forget what, you would say? To cause us to forget that His grace is sufficient to cause us to forget His mercy and His love and the reality of of the calling on our life to to call us to to forget that that resting in Him is all we need. Forgetting and remembering is huge. The enemy wants believers consumed with work so we will be isolated. So that you start thinking in your mind, no one works as hard as you, no one is as good as you, no one has talents like you, or on the other side, no one understands my pain, no one understands my struggle, no one understands how hard I've cried or, or what I go through alone. The enemy is at his finest in those moments. Isolating us from one of the greatest blessings that we have by the grace of God, the body. The church, community. God wants to give us rest so that together we can celebrate. Because I don't know about you, but being alone is lonely. Call me Captain Obvious there, right? Being alone is depressing, is confusing, it hurts. I hate when I'm sitting alone. Man, just, just backstage a second ago, just before coming out here, Pastor Jeff walks down the hallway I'm, you know, thinking he's going to tell me some detail about the night. Like, hey, we got to make sure we do this. And he said, he's just like, I, I just feel led to pray for you. And he just comes back and just lays his hands on me and pray. Like, I love community and relationships and people that care. And when we rest in God, we're able to see what we have instead of believing the things that we don't have. If the grass is always greener, then we're never going to be content in the Lord. If there's always something better, something God hasn't provided that he will, my friends, I'm just saying, remembering and resting and sitting in him, one of the blessings of that is community. Next, the enemy wants believers consumed with work so that we begin to feel self-entitled. I deserve that. Did you see all my efforts? I got a plaque. All right? Now, I know, none of you, I know none of you struggle with self-entitlement at all, so let me speak just on my own sin. In the times when tangible blessing comes, 
when um, reward or fruits of your labor is seen. It is so incredibly easy to start to believe that then you've earned it. So think about a life that's lived believing that you've earned it. Last night, I got to talk to my kids about world religions. Not sure how it came up. Um, <laughs> but actually, it was on my heart from tonight's text, and I, I just said, I, we started talking about world religions. And so I started describing all these different religions to them and breaking it down. Maddox and Dawson completely confused. Um, <laughs> they're like, Reli- religion? You know, listen, boys, just listen. You know, they don't. They're, they're just trying to pronounce. But Avery was right there with me, you know. Um, she always is, precious little girl. God be with my boys. Um, <laughs> but in that, I was just thinking, the beauty of our God, where we never have to live one day trying to earn anything. We don't, we don't have to live one day trying to earn anything. When that kind of lifestyle is so insanely tiring and most other, if not all other world religions are based on that very premise. Work hard and then this. And what God offers is not self-entitlement but empowering for growth. Listen, I've already taken care of it all. So much so that I'm going to empower you now to bear fruit by giving you the Holy Spirit. So I'm giving you the very thing that you need and I've already taken care of all the things that you could ever want. Rest in me. Trust in me. Next. The enemy wants believers consumed with work so that we relish in merit, right? Come on. We just love, we love merit. We want the, we want the sticker on the wall. Uh, now I'm speaking to a generation. How many of you guys remember the Book It program? Book It? Come on now, right? Come on now, please. Right? If you can... Look, if you read books, pizza. That's how I grew up. People ask me all the time, like, why do you like pizza so much and not books? I don't know, but I, I grew up, you know, reading books, you get a pan pizza, right? Like, the whole premise of our culture, if you think about it, is based on merit with the silliest things. Hey, I, I know what we'll, you know, listen, we got them now. We're going to teach them how to read by giving them Pizza Hut. You know what I'm saying? Like, what, what kind of st- and it worked brilliantly. Um, <laughs> hooked on phonics works for me. <laughs> so when you're consumed with these things, you just relish in your merit. But in God, you in, listen, you enjoy, you're pausing, you're enjoying God's finished work. God has sent Moses and Aaron into this land to bring his people to rest, to set up. The eternal rest that will come in Christ like Hebrews 3 and 4 talks about. This whole pulling them out of slavery from Egypt is a massive image to what Jesus will do from sin in our lives. And the the amazing thing is in this moment we get to enjoy God's finished work and not relish in our own merit. We get to say, man God, once and for all, no more bloody Passover lambs, you were enough. And lastly, and my favorite, the enemy wants believers consumed with work because they believe they're building a kingdom. 
we believe, in those moments of hearing the deceit and the lies of the enemy, that we're putting bricks and building structure so that we can stand back and say, look what we've done. Look what we've done, man. It's good, solid work right there. And as I said previously, um, the promise that the deceiver can't even deceive himself into believing is that his kingdom will fall. Therefore, it's not a kingdom at all. But God's kingdom, when you rest in him, you get the chance to rest in a kingdom that exists. You don't add another brick to God's kingdom. God's kingdom already is. It's already, like, it, God's kingdom, just so you understand, like, sometimes when we say, oh, God's kingdom is, is expanding, like, another believer has come. No, 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 like, like, God's kingdom can't get any larger. His kingdom already is. And when you rest in that, you're resting in the one who rules and reigns and is sovereign over a kingdom that already is and will be forever. So I just want to look at these now. And I think if you're like me, I'm asking myself, why in the world would I live one day in a life that isn't real, believing the lies of an enemy, trying to work my way to God and work my way for the approval of man when God has said, rest, rest in me, trust in me, believe. I've given you everything you'll ever need. I've given you everything you'll ever want. So let's end by saying it this way. And this, I hope, will bring some clarity to those of you who are confused. The enemy offers work that leads to fruitless toil. God offers rest. That does a work in you to do a fruitful work through you. There is still work. But it's not fruitless toil. And it's not to earn. And it's not even work. It's God doing what God does through those that he is empowered by the Spirit to rest and trust in his ability and show the world that he is, in fact, real. And the amazing promise is we can actually live in that. We actually can exist in that. Every single one of you, no matter how far gone, no matter how far connected, right now, you have the opportunity to say, no more lies. God, free me, purge me of all the ways that I'm believing an enemy that's providing me nothing. God, help me right now in this struggle, in this relationship, in this life, in this situation, in this understanding. God, please, for maybe the first time in a long time, help me just rest. Help me trust in you. Help me believe that you are the only way. So uh, I just want to pause together. Um, actually, he's going to turn. Uh, ask the guys just to turn all the lights off here for a sec. And... Um, this is rare. Don't normally do this. Don't normally get a chance to do this. I, I don't know what it means for you. I don't know where you're at or what you're, what's going on in your mind in response to this. A lot of stuff. But we're just going to take a moment tonight just to sit.
So let's sit and pray and ask God for clarity. Come on, for those of you that are tired, just relinquish control. For those of you that are burdened by your efforts, trust in His. For those of you not sure where to go next and are looking for direction, believe he'll provide it. For those tonight looking for rest, there's only one place to find it. Let's stand together and respond.